Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you'd open up a Bible to the wisdom literature, to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to read one verse in Proverbs chapter 13 in just a moment. We're making our second trip through the book of Proverbs in our Bible reading schedule this year. And this week we're going to come to Proverbs 13. And so let's get a little bit of a head start as we look in Proverbs 13 tonight. As you're getting your Bibles fired up, let me just say how great it is to see everybody this evening. What a wonderful crowd we have in attendance. It's good to have some of our traveling folks who are back with us. And uh, just so glad that you're here. We have lots of guests once again. And we appreciate so very much that you've come to worship with us. And we hope that you find everything that we say and do and practice here to be in accordance with the Bible. And as always, if you have a question about something that we do here or, or what's going on here, we'd be glad to just sit down with the Bible and uh, come to an understanding of what it is that we ought to be doing and why it is that we're doing doing what we do. In Proverbs chapter 13, let's get right to it. I'm reading here in verse 20. In Proverbs 13 and in verse 20, the wise man says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. As was mentioned just a few moments ago in the prayer, this week, Pulaski County Public School is back in session. I think Wayne County is as well, and probably some of the other surrounding counties are going to be started back up for the 2016-2017 calendar year of school. And of course, those of you that are members here at Lakeside, if you've been here for the last couple of years, you know that right around this time of year, I always like to do a back-to-school sermon For the benefit of our youngsters, some things that they can be thinking about as they go back to school and as they think about taking God with them to school and trying to serve the Lord even in that environment. And I do want to do that again tonight, but I want to hone my emphasis into one particular area. Young people, the thought of going back to school, the idea of doing reading, writing, and arithmetic and all of that stuff, that's not what really gets young people excited about going back to school. What young people think about that actually does get them excited about going back to school is the idea of seeing their friends, talking with their friends, having fun with their friends, catching up with their friends, making new friends. Parents and adults, let's not kid ourselves They're not interested in all that education stuff and learning and developing their skills so that they can have a career someday. Although they're getting all of that, what they're mainly thinking about is their friends. And young people, I do want to say that education stuff, that is important, but I'm not so naive as to not realize that friendship does play a big role in the school process. And so this evening, I do want to talk to our youngsters about their friends. And particularly about what it means to choose their friends wisely. Did you notice in Proverbs 13 and in verse 20, the wise man says in the first part of the verse that it is entirely possible to choose the right kind of friends. You run around with wise people, you will become wise. But as is the case in many of the Proverbs, there's a, there's a flip side to that. Because the second part of the verse also says that it is possible to choose the wrong kinds of friends. And of course, the Bible is filled with example after example of both of those scenarios. I think on the good side, I think about how Jonathan was a great friend to David. Their friendship is explored in great detail in the Old Testament and how Jonathan literally helped to save David's life. 
On the other hand, though, we read about someone who was a companion of fools. We read about Amnon and how he had a crafty friend by the name of Jonadab who helped him to do heinous, awful, despicable, deplorable sin. You see, for better or for worse, friends do have a tremendous influence on our lives, which is why, which is why we need to be careful about the friends that we choose to run with. We need to think long and hard about the companions that we choose in this life because in many ways, those companions will have an effect on where we spend eternity in the next life. This evening, I want to set before you three important questions to consider as you examine your friendships. And yes, I am going to talk a lot to our young people this evening, but I'm talking to everybody. It don't matter whether you're going to public school, whether you're going to home school, doesn't matter whether you're not even in school, going to college, doesn't matter. All of us, we are surrounded by other people. We all have friends and we need to think long and hard about those friendships so that we will choose our friends wisely. You know, I did not have any say whatsoever in choosing who my parents were. And by that same token, my parents... They really didn't have a whole lot of say so in choosing me. What I, what, when I came out of the womb, this is what they got. That's what God gave them. And in the same way, we really don't have much choice when it comes to our coworkers or our classmates at school or even our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't get to choose all of that. But when it comes to your companions, your friends, you do have a choice. You get to make that decision. And so I'm asking tonight, what kind of friends do you want? Let's just start that by asking this first question. Do you want friends? Do you want friends who will tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want friends who will tell you the truth? Look with me in Galatians, the second chapter. That's where we want to begin tonight. In Galatians 2, we read of an occasion where there was a little bit of drama, a little bit of conflict between two of the apostles. Between Paul, the guy who wrote Galatians, and between Peter, or as he's going to call him in this text, Cephas. In Galatians chapter 2, read with me here beginning in verse 11. Paul says, but when Cephas, when Peter, when he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, Peter was in sin here. Peter was not just using a little bit of bad judgment. No, no, no. Peter was acting the part of a hypocrite. And that is why Paul confronts him here and he says, Peter, you got to stop that. you got to stop that right now. You are leading other people astray. You need to get it straightened up. Now, while I imagine that that rebuke was probably very, very difficult for Peter to have to receive, and I imagine as well it was very difficult for Paul to have to administer that rebuke, There is no denying Peter needed to hear that. Peter needed to be told that. He needed a friend who would tell him the cold, hard truth, even if it hurt. Now, hold that thought in your mind and look back with me in the Old Testament again in 1 Kings 12. In 1 Kings chapter 12, here's the opposite end of the spectrum. 
In 1 Kings chapter 12, we have a new king on the throne. And this new king is looking to get some advice on what policies he ought to institute for the kingdom. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we're reading here about King Rehoboam. In 1 Kings 12, begin with me in verse 6. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they, the old men, they said to him, Well, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Verse 8, though. But Rehoboam abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him, and he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And so he said to them, to the young men, he said, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What a bunch of yes men. Just telling Rehoboam what he really wanted to hear. You see, if these guys, these guys that he grew up with, if they had been true friends to him, they would have said, you know what, Rehoboam? Those old guys, yeah, they're kinda, they're kinda unhip. They're not all that cool. They're kind of a bunch of fuddy-duddies, but you know what? What they said, what they said was right. You need to listen to those guys. You need to listen to what they're saying, but, but that's not what Rehoboam's friends told him, was it? Now, I'm not ruling a kingdom. I'm just trying to get to heaven. And that is, for me, far more important than any kind of domestic policies or how to position armies on a battlefield or how to run a giant corporation. I'm fighting against a culture that is wicked and evil. I'm fighting against the forces of darkness, against the temptations that pervade my life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And when the moment comes that I give in to that evil, when the moment comes that I cave in to that temptation, I do not want friends who will just remain silent about that. I do not want friends who will pat me on the back and glad hand me and say, hey, you're doing a great job, Josh. No, I want friends who will take me to the side and they will lovingly rebuke me, say a careful word of rebuke because they love me and because they care about my soul. That's the kind of friends that I want. And I realize that even as I say that, I realize that that will be hard for me. I will be embarrassed when a friend comes to me and says those kinds of things. I may even, my knee-jerk reaction might be to, to lash out at them and to start pointing the finger back at them, but I hope and I pray. I hope that I will then accept that correction and that I will then make the changes in my life that I need to make so that I can then say a sincere word of gratitude to a true friend. Look in Galatians 6 now. In Galatians 6, this is precisely the kind of thing that Paul commands Christians to do all the time. In Galatians chapter 6, look in verse 1. In Galatians 6 and in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should tell him, Oh, you're okay, you're doing alright. Is that what your Bible says? Galatians 6 verse 1, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. 
The one who practices Galatians 6 verse 1, that person, that person is truly my friend. And let's be honest, while all of us need to be doing that Galatians 6 1 stuff, that verse does assume that at least some sort of relationship is already in place in order for that Galatians 6 1 thing to have its desired effect. Which means then that I need to be cultivating friends who are loyal to God. Friends who are strong in allegiance to His Word. I want to align myself with the kind of people who love the Lord and who love the Lord's ways. In fact, when I'm searching for friends and I'm looking to get me some new friends, that really ought to be near the top of my list of things that I'm looking for in a friend. I ought to be looking for people who are interested in God and God's things. And you know what? That interest in my life, that will then serve to draw to me other like-minded people. Just ask yourself right now, do I have a friend like that? Do I have a friend who will tell me the truth if I am in sin? Or are all of my friendships, are they all just shallow relationships where people will actually lie to me in order to keep the relationship going? That's no kind of friendship at all. And that, of course, leads quite nicely into this second question this evening. And that is, do you want friends who will help you to do all kinds of fun stuff? Or are you more interested in friends who will help you to serve the Lord? Go back to the book of Proverbs again, this time in chapter 1. In Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon begins this book of wisdom by giving some advice to his son. And he describes to his son a certain kind of friend that you can go with and you can do some really, really exciting stuff with. Read with me in Proverbs chapter 1 beginning in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. There are people, there are plenty of people in our world today who are all about having that kind of fun. And the truth of the matter is, some of the very most fun that you can have is doing wicked stuff. You didn't think I was going to tell you that, did I? But that is. That is what I'm saying. You can have all kinds of fun doing wicked, sinful, ungodly things. The Bible tells us that. That there are pleasures, passing pleasures, but pleasures to sin. And it is. It's a big adventure to do all this sinful sort of stuff. Wondering if maybe you're going to get caught. Can we get away with it? Can I do this and nobody ever find out about that? There's this huge rush of adrenaline with that. And it's really, really exciting. There is a momentary thrill that's associated with doing evil. You want to be part of that? Is that what you're looking for in your companions? You can find people. You just walk outside and it won't take very long. You can find people out in the world who will be your friend and they will introduce you to the way of living that is the way of the sinner. 
You can find people who will introduce you, young people, they'll introduce you to the party scene. You can find people who will introduce you to drugs and to alcohol. You can find people who will be your friend and they will introduce you to sexual immorality, to fornication, to ungodliness of every kind. And of course, when you're involved in all of that kind of stuff, oh, it's just a fun and it's such an exciting thing. But when that opportunity comes, I want you to hear the words of Solomon in the back of your head. I want you to hear Solomon saying to his son, Do not consent. Do not go to be with them. Do not walk in their pathway. Do not be friends with those kinds of people. They will only lead you to ruin. Better. Better is a friend who will help you to serve the Lord. Can I give you my favorite example of that in the Bible? Look in 1 Samuel 14. In 1 Samuel 14, this is one of the more overlooked stories in the Bible. And I just love this story. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, this is the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. We don't even know the name of his armor bearer. We just know he was a really good friend. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, so much can be said about Jonathan, but I want us to really think about the armor bearer in this story. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, we're told that one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jonathan's father, Saul, was the king and he wasn't doing what he should have done. He was not engaging in battle with the Philistines. Jonathan says, I'm not going to sit around. I want to do the Lord's work and I need to get me somebody who will go and do it with me. Drop down now to verse 6. And so Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And so his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. And so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they said, come up to us, and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they, the Philistines, they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, it killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. You continue on reading there and you'll find the Lord gives Jonathan and the armor bearer the victory. That is a great story. And it is a great story, first of all, because of Jonathan's faith and courage in the Lord. And how he's always giving credit to the Lord, putting the emphasis back on the Lord. But I want to notice as well that an essential character in this victory against the Philistines, it was the armor bearer. It was this guy who we don't know his name, but who was such a good friend. I want you to notice that the armor bearer did not say when Jonathan came up with this idea, he does not say, what are you talking about, Jonathan? What do you mean, two of us against all them big bad Philistines? Have you lost your mind? That's not what he says. Instead, he says, verse 7, 
I am with you heart and soul. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's get up and do the work of God together. I'm with you. And what a contrast that is to the so-called friends we just read about in Proverbs the first chapter. This is a real friend. A friend who helps a person to serve God. And I am afraid. I'm afraid that today, all too often, we do not use the criteria of Jonathan's armor bearer in judging our friendships. In our society, we want to judge everything by how, how fun it is. We're just so enamored with fun. We just think life is all about having fun. We're constantly looking for the next fun thing to do. Just think for a second, think for a second about the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl has practically become a national holiday. Now, I'm not knocking the Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl is not a national holiday based on the, you know, the founding of our country or a day of thanksgiving or a day to honor and memorialize our veterans. No, it's a holiday that is based on what? A game, a halftime show, maybe some funny commercials. Now, I enjoy the Super Bowl, I guess, as much as the next guy. But is gauging everything in life based on how much fun it is, is that really the best way to determine the course and path of our lives? Is that the compass that we want in our hand? (laughs) Take me to Thrillsville. Why is it then? Why is it then if something isn't fun, or if someone isn't fun, even if they're kind, or excuse me, why is it then if someone is fun, and even if their idea of fun is evil and wrong and sinful things, why is it then that we are so eager to be friends with people like that? Why is it that we are so jumping up and down to go and be with that kind of person? Why is it then, on the other hand, if someone is, is godly and meek, and is just trying to serve the Lord, and wants to help us obey God, and they enjoy reading and studying the Bible, and coming to church is one of their greatest joys in life, why is it we don't want to be friends with that person? Because, well, they're just a square. They're a prude. They're so dull. They're not as cool as Mr. Fun over here. Why is it that we are so caught up in our culture of fun, that we are not merely and nearly as interested in serving the Lord and finding other people who want to serve the Lord. Please don't leave here tonight thinking that Josh was up there preaching that it's wrong to have fun. So I guess I better go home tonight and burn all my DVDs and cancel my Netflix subscription and throw all my fishing equipment in the trash. That's not what Josh is saying. What I'm talking about tonight is where do I place the emphasis in my life and in my heart? Have I chosen companions that are based on godly characteristics, biblical kinds of characteristics, or am I choosing my friends based on how high they rank on the fun meter? And I want you to know, here's kind of a side point, that question is critically important, young people, when it comes to selecting the very most important companion in life. And that is a spouse. Here's something I want our young people, especially those that are getting to teenage age and you're starting to get to the age of dating or those that we have that are singles that are maybe looking to get married someday. It is very easy to go out and find someone who's of the opposite sex, who is exciting and they're adventurous and they're spontaneous and they just live to do fun stuff. You look through the personal ads and that's the stuff that's listed in there. I'm spontaneous. I like to have fun. I'm a free spirit. You can find those kinds of people. But chances are... Those kinds of people don't care about Jesus. 
They don't care about the kind of thing that we're doing here today. Their heart is far from God and they have no interest in the Lord or in the Lord's things. And sure, if you buddy up with a person like that, you start dating a person like that, you marry a person like that, yeah, it'll be a thrill to be with them. It'll be a thrill to be seen with them, to go do fun things with them. But here's the kicker. That person will not help you to obey God. And somebody's maybe thinking right now, come on, Josh. Marriage and friendship, all those are two completely different things. No, it's not. Look with me in the Song of Solomon, please. In Song of Solomon chapter 5. Did you notice this when we read Song of Solomon a couple of weeks ago? In Song of Solomon, in this wonderful song about married love, look at the last line, Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 16. His mouth is most sweet. This is the woman talking, talking about her husband. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. I assure you, if your marriage is as it ought to be, there will never be another human being on the planet that you are as close to as your spouse. You will never have a deeper friendship than the friendship you have with your spouse. You will never have anyone in your life who is a greater influence on your decisions and the things that you do than your spouse. That friend, above all other earthly friends, needs to be a friend who will help you to obey the Lord. We need friends like that in marriage. We need friends like that in the workplace. We need friends like that at school. We need friends like that in every walk of life. We need people who, granted, they maybe are not all that fun, but they sure do help us to do what's right. And isn't that what's most important? Finally then this evening, as we ask some provocative questions about choosing our friends, I need to ask you, do you want friends who will stand in opposition to your faith or friends who will respect your faith. I I want to be very careful here as I talk about this because I do not want to somehow give the impression that we want to walk away from a friend just because maybe they go to a different church than we do. Or we're going to walk away from a friend just because maybe they don't even go to church at all. They don't, maybe they don't even believe in God or they have no religious convictions. That alone is not a cause to ditch a friend. What that is, in my opinion, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to talk and to discuss and to understand and to teach and to have an influence on someone for Jesus Christ. Look with me in the book of Luke, please, in Luke 1. I'll give you a great example of that. In Luke chapter 1... Notice how Luke addresses his friend, Theophilus. That's who the Gospel of Luke is written to originally. In Luke chapter 1, read with me beginning in verse 1, Luke 1, 1. Luke says, "...inasmuch as many things have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us..." Well, that's a mouthful. "...just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also..." having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. It seems to me that Theophilus maybe had some questions about Jesus, about Christianity, and about the gospel. 
Most likely, Theophilus was a Greek and was not a Christian. Or at the very least, maybe he was a Christian, but he still kind of had some doubts and some uncertainties about the validity of the gospel story. But he had a friend. This guy, Luke, the good doctor. Luke, who goes to great lengths through the pen of inspiration to help him see and understand the truth. And what that says to me is that says to me that Theophilus must have trusted Luke and must have respected Luke and respected Luke's faith for Luke to have written him not one book, but two books. The Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. That is the mark of a good friendship. And you know what? We're glad to have friends like Theophilus. People who, maybe they do come from different backgrounds, maybe they do have some different religious convictions than us, but you know what? We're able to talk, and we're able to have civil discussion with one another. We're able to understand one another because they do respect our principles and our convictions and our beliefs, and they're willing to, to ask questions and to engage in that kind of conversation. That's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. We ought to have more friends like that. In fact, I would dare say that most people who come out of the world and become Christians... This is how it happens. Because they had a friend who invited them to church. Because they had a friend who set up a Bible study with them. We ought to value those kinds of friendships. Having said that, that is a far cry different from having friends who would outright stand in the way and pose a problem of opposition to your faith and to your Christianity. And so, for example, if you have friends who would insult you and say insulting things to you because you wear the name of Christ. If you have friends who would ridicule you over the fact that you come to church three times a week, what kind of weirdo are you? The fact that maybe you would have friends who would laugh at you and scorn you in some way because you don't participate in certain activities that are immoral and in violation of the Word of God. Can I just ask you, if you have friends like that, Is that how a real friend acts? Just by definition, is that how a friend acts? Now, I know sometimes what happens is we end up kind of dismissing all of this. A parent says, you know, well, if they treat you that way, then they really weren't your friend at all. To which the child says back, oh, great now, now I don't have any kind of friends. But honestly now, isn't friendship about about two people who have some shared values, some shared respect for one another? You know, we make friends with somebody because we come to realize that that we have some things in common with them. Maybe we find out that, oh, you watch the same TV show that I watch, and we start talking about that. Or we both like the same kind of sports or the same kind of hobby. Oh, you you watch baseball? Yeah, I watch baseball too. Let's talk about baseball. Or maybe adults, you know, our kids, they go to the same school as some other parents, and we start talking with them, and we find some commonalities there, and we begin to see that actually we have lots of similarities with that person we got this in common, and that in common, and this, that, and the other, and all these things in common. And somewhere in that process of getting to know one another, as the friendship deepens, we begin, we begin to just start liking that other person. And not just because of the common interest that we have, but because we actually value them as a human being, as a person, because of who they are. I like you. I like hanging out with you. I like talking to you. I like picking your brain about things. And I like you not because of what you can do or what you can do for me. I value you as a person. And that is how friendship works, isn't it? Sometimes we don't break it down and think about how that process goes. But that is what friendship is all about. I respect what you respect. I value you as a person. I respect you and what you're all about. 
So here's the card question. Are we really friends with someone who despises and is opposed to everything that we are about as the children of God? You know, I don't, I don't have any friends who are members of the Ku Klux Klan. At least I don't think I have any friends who are Ku Klux Klan members. I hope not. And I really don't think that I'll be making friends with anybody who is in the KKK anytime soon. I despise the KKK. I despise what they stand for. i got nothing in common with those guys. don't want any part of that. And, in fact, they probably would feel the same way about me. They wouldn't care about me very much. And so, so we're just probably not going to get along. We're just too incompatible. There's some contradictory things at work there. Would you look in your Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes about some differences in people. And he warns us about getting caught up with people who would be a contradiction to our walk with God. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Notice these last three words. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. Now that passage certainly encompasses more than I'm talking about here this evening, but it would certainly include friendships, wouldn't it? And there is nothing ambiguous about what Paul says here at all. Because when people demonstrate without remorse a love for themselves and a love for pleasure and a love for wickedness and sin, and they don't care about God, and they don't care about His church, and they don't care about His Word, Paul does not say, now you ought to go out and you ought to buddy up with them kind of people. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, get away from those kinds of people. That's not hard to understand, is it? Why is it then that Christians are so enamored? We are so anxious to buddy up with the very people Paul said to avoid, avoid such people. Now I'll tell you this. I don't think I could be friends with somebody who hates my mom. Being around somebody who's just always saying mean and despicable things about my mom, always insulting my mom and always trying to get me to insult my mom too. I'm just not going to be friends with somebody like that. In fact, in a minute or two, I'm probably going to end up getting in a fight with that person. I just could not be friends with somebody who hates my mother. Why then? Why then would I want to be friends with somebody who hates and is ugly and is opposed to everything about my Father, my Heavenly Father? I cannot... I cannot maintain close relationship with somebody who is trying to pry me away from the very most important relationship that I have, and that is my relationship with the Lord. That's just a deal breaker. That needs to be a deal breaker for all Christians. That won't work. It can't work. It'll never work. I cannot have real friendship with someone who opposes my faith and opposes everything that I am as a child of God. 
What I need is I need friends who at a bare minimum will respect my faith. And I'll tell you what would be even better is that back up there in number two would be to have friends who will help me to obey God and to serve Him. One final verse this evening. I'll put it up on the screen. We're going to end it. We began in Proverbs, and so we're going to end in Proverbs. In Proverbs 27 and verse 17, my favorite of all of the Proverbs. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That, that's what I'm looking for. Young people, that's what you need to be looking for. We need to be looking for friends who will make us sharper. I'm not going to settle for just any kind of friend. I've got more self-esteem than that. I care more about my soul than to just settle for anybody being my friend. I'm not going to settle for friends who will fill me with all kinds of lies. I'm not going to settle for friends whose number one goal in life is having fun and a good time. I'm not going to settle for friends who are going to oppose and stand in the way of my faith in serving the Lord. I'm going to be a lot more selective than that. I want to evaluate my friends with the right kind of criteria. Do I have friends that will tell me the truth even when it hurts? Do I have friends who will help me to serve the Lord? And do I have friends who will respect my faith and my convictions? I want to use that kind of criteria so that when all is said and done, I will have a fleet of friends who will make me sharper and who I, in turn, can help to sharpen them. That's the great thing about this verse. It works both ways. we got a sword that's working on both ends of the stick here. We can help each other to do what's right and to go to heaven when this life is over. Now, right now, I know what everybody's doing. I hope what you're doing. You're going through the Rolodex in your mind and you're thinking about all the people that you call your friends. And if you're doing a little bit of that inventory right now and you're thinking to yourself, hmm, I don't really have any friends like that. Then tonight, can I encourage you to take a look around this building? Get a look around this auditorium and get acquainted with the people who make up this local church. You're looking for friends who will sharpen you and you can help sharpen as well. This right here is a great place to start. God has given us a head start in the friendship department. In His infinite wisdom, God designed the local church. I believe this is for, for one of these very, this very reason. That we would be placed with like-minded men and women who will be our allies as we fight against the forces of darkness and the forces of the devil. That wily, crafty, evil, roaring line. We need to take advantage of this. We need to build meaningful relationships with the people of God. You need to take the time to get to know, I mean really know your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just shallow for your talk where we talk about the weather or about sports. I'm talking about really get to know one another. Spend time outside of these assemblies. We're going to go out for coffee. I'm going to have you over in my home. We're going to get to know one another. We're going to sing in our closing song in a little bit. Number 118, take time to be holy. My favorite line from that song, make friends of God's children. They are the very greatest friends that you could ever have here on this earth. And I do want to underscore the idea of them being the greatest friends that you have on this earth. Because there actually is a better friend that we have, but he is not of this earth. I, of course, am speaking about Jesus the Christ.
And as we prepare to sing the song that's been selected as a song of invitation number 380, I hope it doesn't sound too cliche to say, what a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus died for us, came here, gave Himself for us so that we could be redeemed, bought back from sin, so that we could be reconciled to our Heavenly Father, so that we could then live with Him and His Father for all of eternity. That, that is the mark of a true friend. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that and He did that for you. If you're not a Christian, you can reciprocate that friend request by obeying the gospel tonight talked this morning about that there is a great day coming. And you know what? When that day comes, there's going to be a lot of unprepared people. And on that day, Jesus isn't going to seem like much of a friend to people who aren't prepared. Because to those people, Jesus is going to say, Depart from me. I never knew you. But that doesn't have to be you. You can fix that this evening. You can get prepared tonight. And on that day, you can hear your friend Jesus say those wonderful words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. If they're here this evening and you need to obey the gospel, we'd love nothing more than to take your confession and to baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian, and maybe you have turned your back on your friend Jesus, maybe you've done like that guy Judas did, you've betrayed that friendship with sin and wickedness and just allowed other things to take priority in your life, Brother or sister, you can fix that as well. That friendship can be mended and made whole once again through repentance and through prayer. And if we can pray with you and encourage you in some way to serve the Lord, then we would love to do that tonight. Wherever you stand, Jesus wants to be your friend. Will you accept the friend request? This is your moment and your opportunity to do just that. Would you make your way down front? Do that while we stand and while we sing.